Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul firmly rebukes the Galatian Christians for not standing firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All human beings are sinful and can be delivered from their sin and go to heaven only by receiving and trusting in Jesus Christ alone. We can add nothing to what Jesus has done for us. We must trust fully and completely and only in his death and resurrection for the salvation of our soul. Are you trying to add to what Jesus has done, or are you trusting solely on what he has done on your behalf and in your place? Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 3 and look at this absolutely pivotal subject. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, right? Spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love Jesus, right, Rap? There is nothing in our lives, Pop, that will benefit us more, that will edify us more, that will that's more worthwhile in our lives, that's more important in our lives than growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to know his love for us, and above all, growing to increasingly obey him and to be like him in every aspect of our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> all right, excuse me. All right, so today we're in Galatians 3. The plan is to do, Lord willing, verses 1 through 14. Um, just, a, just an incredible book here written by the Apostle Paul. If you recall, there were, in the last teachings, there were, there were people that had supposedly come from the leader of the early church to Antioch, and they were, uh, you know, they had supposedly come from James, and they were, they were imposing their religious view that Jesus Christ was not enough to be saved from your sin, delivered from eternal hell, and to go to heaven when you die. They were saying that these Galatians, you know, had to add to what Jesus did on the cross. They had to add their own good lives. They had to add their own good works. They had to, they had to come under the law of Moses. They had to submit themselves to all the Jewish laws, the laws of circumcision, following all the commandments, um, following the dietary laws. And only by <clears throat> having both could you be saved. Um, and the Apostle Paul is in a vehement defense that there is nothing we do for our salvation. There's nothing we do for the forgiveness of our sins and to go to heaven when we die beside genuinely receiving Jesus Christ, trusting and relying on Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. <clears throat> And so now he's going to move into chapter three with, you know, just some very strong words and he's going to give some incredible examples and he's going to prove from the Old Testament that, you know, it's always been about Christ alone. Salvation has always been by faith alone in Christ alone. In the Old Testament, you looked forward, you had faith in the Savior or the Messiah that was to come. You look forward to the promised Messiah um, and you were saved by God's grace through faith and the Savior that would come. 
In the New Testament, you and I, we look back to the cross. We put our faith and trust in the Savior and the Messiah, Jesus, that has come, right? So the same cross saves us all. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> all right. Galatians 3, verses 1 to 14. Paul writing, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you that we have the, the living word of God. We thank you that we have this Bible, Father. I thank you for that, that, uh, that man on the radio I was listening to this morning who just was just speaking about how excited he is to have his Bible, Lord. And I just we just echo that, Father. We just thank you that we have this Bible, these scriptures, the living word of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But Father, above all, we do thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life for us on our behalf and in our place. We thank you for dying a perfect, righteous, torturous death for us on our behalf and in our place. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. And we worship you today, Lord Jesus. We worship you. Holy Spirit, we, we thank you for your mercy. We ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Galatians 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, 
who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. What Paul is saying here is that he had so clearly articulated the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had consistently and clearly and vehemently explained to them the truth of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone and what he did at the cross in his death on the cross on behalf of all humanity. So when he says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, he's not saying that they witnessed the crucifixion of Christ. He's saying that that he had painted the picture so clear, right? It's like it's like planes were flying by in the sky, right? You know, dragging the gospel message behind it. It's like there were billboards all over town. Paul had had so clearly gone out of his way to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ that he actually asks them, who has bewitched you? Now, you know, he's basically saying it's as if you've come under a witch's spell or something. Now, he wasn't meaning in reality that they were under a spell, but, you know, what he was saying to them is that, you know, how is it that, you know, you're not thinking clearly, you're not using your understanding, right? And he calls them foolish. There is nothing more important in our lives, Becky, than consistently growing and remembering and meditating and understanding the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's our job, like Paul, to, to clearly portray Jesus Christ is crucified more and more and more and more. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, Tommy, ought to always and consistently be more and more on our lips. Do you have a lifestyle, Chris, of consistently portraying Jesus Christ as crucified? Because if not, people will easily be bewitched, right? Look what he says, you foolish Galatians. And again, there can be nothing more foolish, right, than turning away from the gospel. Without Jesus Christ, only eternal hell awaits us after this life. And a life without relationship with the triune God in this life. So we cannot allow anyone or anything or any person, right, to, to bewitch us, so to speak, to, to get us out of our understanding that our God, Jesus, God the Son, became a human man for us. He lived a perfect, righteous, obedient life for us on our behalf and in our place. And he died a perfect, righteous, obedient death for us on our behalf and in our place and was raised from the dead. And it's by trusting in Jesus. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? All right. To receive Jesus simply means to put your full faith, trust, confidence, and hope in Jesus alone and what he did at the cross on your behalf and in your place for the forgiveness of your sins 
and the salvation of your soul. Okay, Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not our words that save us. We use our words, however, to communicate our heart to Jesus. Have you called out to Jesus? Have you asked him to be the Lord of your life? Have you confessed to him that you are a sinful person and that you need a savior and that without him, you know that you are hopeless, helpless, and desperate? If you're not sure, you can just you can just humble yourself before him now, right? Just, you know, humble yourself before Jesus. And again, use the words I'm going to use now, but it's the sincerity and genuineness of your heart that matters to God. Just humble yourself before him and call out to him and pray, Lord Jesus, I, I confess that I am a sinful person. Lord, I know that I've done wrong. And Lord Jesus, I know that I am hopeless and helpless and desperate without you. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I believe you did come into this world and lived a perfect life, even for me, and died a perfect death even for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and confidence and trust in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> that is a Christian. A Christian is someone, again, who's trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins the salvation of their soul, the deliverance from eternal hell, and to spend eternity in heaven with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we need to consistently have this good news on our mind because we live in a world, okay, where all the forces of evil and, and the vast majority of the world will try to bewitch you, will try to turn you from your firm understanding in confidence in what Christ has done. And this is what was happening to the Galatians. And again, there is nothing more foolish. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And I'll say again, it's all of our jobs, okay? It's our actual job as ministers, but every Christian's job is to more and more portray the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ as crucified. Verse 2, <clears throat> I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? If you're a genuine Christian today, if you're truly trusting in Christ alone and relying on Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, if you've received Jesus Christ, as John 1.12 says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If that's you today, then the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, actually lives in you. The spirit of Jesus lives in you. And the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you and increasingly pointing you to Jesus Christ. 
The Holy Spirit living in you is consistently convicting you of the different areas of your life that are out, out of place, of the different areas of sin in your life. If you have no conviction of sin in your life, okay, if it doesn't bother you to live in a completely ungodly, sinful way, if you have no heart to live for Jesus, no concern for Jesus, basically no thought for Jesus, if all you have is a religion that maybe you show up at church once a week and you think you got it, you know, the box checked, then, then there's doubt as to whether you are genuinely saved, as to whether you are genuinely trusting in Jesus Christ, as to whether you have genuinely received him as your savior. Again, if you're a genuine Christian today, and not just a Christian in name, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, okay? And there ought to be evidence in your life of the Holy Spirit living in you. And again, that evidence ought to be that when you live in a you know, in an ungodly way, when you sin, when you make mistakes, um, you know, that that it grieves you, that it bothers you, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin. There ought to be a desire in you to live for Jesus, right? There ought to be a desire in you to, to spend time with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? We cannot earn this. There's nothing we can do to work to be saved. We cannot work off our sin debt. Okay. All of us know that we've been sinful. Every human being in the world, all 8 billion people in the world, rational people know they've done wrong things. They think wrong thoughts. They say wrong words that they're morally wrong. And that they have been morally wrong in many, many ways in their life. Every one of us knows we've been selfish. We've been self-serving. We like our own way. The Bible calls this sin. Okay. Most religions have this scale mentality. Okay. They all know that they've been sinful. They're trying to do a lot of good works, right? They're trying to observe the law, and do a lot of good moral things. And they hope that the good they do will offset the bad they've done, and they hope the Lord will let them into heaven. Never does our good take away a that take away our bad. Good doesn't take away bad. I've said this over and over. If you blow through a red light today when you're driving, Scott, you can't say to the police officer when he pulls you over, wait a minute, officer, I observed the law and I did good and I didn't run the last 200. Why are you giving me a hard time for this one? The officer wouldn't look at you and say, well, Scotty, good point. Good job obeying the other 200. You can go now. No. It doesn't matter that we obeyed the law and obeying the law and, and not running the last 200 lights. The fact is that we broke the law when we ran this light, and now we get a ticket and have to pay our debt to society because good doesn't take away bad, right? We can, we can have lived the most righteous life in the world, but in the state of Texas, if you murder someone, it doesn't matter how good you've been. All that good doesn't take away your bad, and you'd spend life in prison or be executed, right? Because good doesn't take away bad. In the same way, all of our good deeds won't take away our sin. We need a Savior, and it's only in Jesus Christ that our sins can be forgiven and removed 
that we can come into relationship with the triune God and that we can ultimately go to heaven when we die. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Again, it's only by believing, by trusting and relying and having your full hope and confidence in what Christ has done for you that you're saved and receive the spirit of God, right? Verse three, are you so foolish? So again, you can see the zeal and the passion and the vehemence Paul has <clears throat> that they understand this. Are you so foolish, verse three, after beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Okay, again, we are saved by God's grace alone, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? Through faith alone in Christ alone, right? Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. That's Ephesians chapter 2, the next book after Galatians verses 8 and 9. And so our salvation is completely and totally by faith. We cannot add may to anything that Jesus has done for us, okay? It's not Jesus and our good life. It's not Jesus and living according to the, the law of Moses and the Jewish traditions as these Judaizers were trying to impose on the Galatian Christians, right? There's nothing we can add to the cross. Again, the reason Paul is so vehement here is because when we try to add to the cross, when we say, well, we have to trust in Jesus, but we also have to trust in and, and live good lives. What we're doing is we're saying that Jesus Christ is not enough, that we need to add to the finished work of the cross our good lives, okay? I've said this before, the best five minutes I've lived, the best total five minutes I've lived in my life would send me right to hell and would spoil my salvation, all right? My salvation, the forgiveness of my sins, the salvation of my soul, the deliverance from a life in eternal hell and going to heaven when I die to be with God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit is completely, totally, and only based on what Christ has done, right? You remember in John 19, Jesus said, it is finished. He's finished it. There's nothing we can add to it. But the Galatians, he says, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, after beginning with receiving Christ and trusting in Christ, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So again, it's not Jesus in my human effort. I have to humble myself before Christ and acknowledge there's nothing I can do in any manner, in any way. I'm hopeless, helpless, and desperate, and only Jesus Christ can save me. We do not add to the cross. It's not Jesus and anything. It's Christ alone. Verse 4, have you suffered so much? for nothing, if it really was for nothing. I mean, the Galatian Christians had experienced persecution for trusting in Christ alone. They had gone through difficulty, right? They had gone through suffering uh, because they were standing on the truth of the gospel. And, you know, when we stand in this world today on the truth of the gospel, oftentimes, you know, you know we'll be insulted, we'll be rejected. And, and, you know, in some countries you can be arrested and you'll be persecuted. And so they had gone through, through, through serious difficulties 
because of their faith in Christ alone. And Paul says, have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, now it's not for nothing. When we trust in Christ alone, we're, we're, we've, put, we, we've put our entire lives in the hands of Jesus and our eternal soul is secure in Christ and only in Christ. So whatever suffering and difficulty we go through for that, it's more than worth it infinitely, right? Um, you know, all of us in humanity and all of us as Christians go through different types of suffering. And the more we live for Christ, the more we'll be persecuted in, in the different ways, right? But the suffering isn't for nothing, okay? Indeed, it's our trust in Christ that allows us to have relationship with him and again, to spend eternity in heaven and to have our sins forgiven, right? It's not for nothing. It's the most incredible blessing in the world. Verse five, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Uh, the Galatians had received the spirit of God when they trusted Christ and they had, they had seen miracles, right? The Apostle Paul in Antioch, right, which is in Galatia, had, uh, you know, had, had performed miracles by the grace of God. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles? Again, everything, and we live under the grace of God, okay? When God works a miracle, when he does a healing in our life, when he saves someone, it's a miracle. Right now, when he talks about miracles here, he's talking about observable miracles. Someone who had been blind their whole life can see. Right. Someone who's missing a limb has an arm grow back. Right. And an amazing miracle. But none of this was because that they were, you know, they were following the law of Moses. None of this was because they were following the, the Jewish dietary laws. None of this was because the men were being circumcised. All of this was from faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So he says to them, does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? And again, to believe in Jesus doesn't just mean to, to give intellectual assent to the existence of Christ or give assent that he died and rose again. To believe in Jesus means to have your full confidence in Jesus. Just like if I said to you, Esther, Esther, I believe in you. What do I mean by that? Do I mean that I believe you exist? Of course not. Of course you exist. When I say, Esther, I believe in you, I'm saying, Esther, I have full confidence in you. Right? That's what it means to believe in Jesus, to have your full confidence, trust, and reliance on what Jesus has done for you on your behalf and in your place at the cross. Right? Verse 6. Consider Abraham. Quote, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. So now Paul is going to use the Old Testament scripture, and he's going to use this, the incredible father Abraham, right? The father of the Jewish nation as his primary example here. Now, the interesting thing is these Judaizers and still many people of Jewish descent today are counting on their, their, uh, their natural, physical, you know, descent from Abraham, right? They're counting on their genealogy from Abraham for their salvation, okay? And so 
the Jews in Paul's day and many today believe that they're going to be saved from their sin and go to heaven simply because they're Jewish, right? And Paul is going to strongly now come against that. All 8 billion people in the world, whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, if you're non-Jewish, biblically, you're a Gentile, all of us need Jesus Christ, okay? Now, Jesus himself came into the world as a Jewish man, right? Lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and rose from the dead so that every single person of Jewish descent or any other descent, any Gentile, could be forgiven of their sins and spend eternity in heaven, right? So he quotes Genesis 15, 6 here when he says, consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Okay, so it's not your, your, your natural descent. It's not your, your physical genealogy, right, that makes you a child of Abraham, but it's when you have the faith and belief that Abraham did. What does he mean? Genesis 15, 6 says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham's faith, his belief and trust that God would give him a son and that from that son, the Messiah, the Savior would come was how he was made right with God. Okay. He believed God and it, his belief, his faith, his trust was credited, was credited to him as righteousness. Paul says in verse 7, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived is credited to you. And the sinful disobedient life that you and I lived is credited to Christ at the cross. Now that incredible exchange, that incomprehensible trade is the heart of the Christian gospel. All of my disgusting sin, past, present, and future, in exchange for the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived. I mean, that's quite a swap, right? It's incredible. C.S. Lewis said, never, ever, would the mind of man have conceived such a thing, right? Consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, okay? So we are made right with God, not by anything we do, not by observing the Ten Commandments, not by following Jewish dietary laws, not by being circumcised, not based on any of our heritage or genealogy, right? Whether Jewish or non-Jewish, were made right with God by faith in the Messiah in Jesus Christ, by trusting and relying and, and clinging to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. And when we do this, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we are his true children when we follow in his footsteps, when we believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And then the righteousness of Christ is credited to us. It's incredible, right? Makes perfect sense, right? Verse 8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, quote, all nations will be blessed through you, 
And again, I believe that's Genesis 12, 3. Um, and so, you know, God had promised that, that Abraham would have a son in his very, very old age, right? Way into his 90s, right? Um, and, you know, it was impossible, right? And his wife, Sarah, was well past childbearing years, right? Um, but he actually believed God and trusted in the word of God that that would come to pass and trusted in the fact that from his son, Isaac, would come the line of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, all nations will be blessed through you. Paul says the scripture foresaw that God would, gen would justify the Gentiles by faith. The word justify means to be declared not guilty of sin and made righteous before God by faith, not by doing good works, not by observing the law of Moses, not by being circumcised, not by following the Jewish dietary laws, the scripture in Genesis 12, 3, way back, right, you know, 2,000 years, 1,500 years before Christ ever came, right, the scripture foresaw <clears throat> that, that all human beings, Jews and Gentiles, would be made right with God, would be justified by faith, right? And it says that the scripture foresaw that God would ju justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham when God told Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. Jesus comes through the line of Abraham, right? And all nations are blessed by Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile. Does that make sense? It's profound, right? I mean, it's incredible. Um, and so the scripture foresaw, meaning in Genesis 12, three thousands of years before Christ came, it made this statement to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. And by saying that it announced the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in advance. Verse nine. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So again, Paul now is just, you know, cutting the legs out from under these Judaizers because their hope and trust was in Abraham, but in being a natural descendant of Abraham, right? That their genealogy or some of their genes had some of Abraham in it. And Paul says, no, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. They're saying those who, who trust in Jesus Christ by faith and not in their own good works, not in trying to, to follow the law of Moses, not in trying to follow the Jewish dietary traditions, and not by being circumcised. None of these outward things matter. It's our faith, right? It's by trusting and relying and believing in Jesus as the Son of God and trusting in the work he did on the cross, right? That, you know, that, that brings the blessing of salvation. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. This is a heavy statement from Paul. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, quote, cursed is everyone 
who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's verse 10. If you're relying on your own good works, if you're relying on trying to follow the Ten Commandments, now again, we should do good works. We should labor to follow the Ten Commandments, but we're not relying on that for our salvation, right? Um, give you an example. If, if, uh, if the governor of Texas, if Governor Abbott had said to you, you know, and he gave you a, a pass and said, no more are you under the speeding laws of the state of Texas. They don't apply to you anymore. Okay? So, you know, you're not required anymore to follow the speeding laws of Texas. So you could drive 100 miles an hour on the highway and you won't get in trouble for it. You won't get a ticket for it. Now, you know, that's a blessing that you're not under the speeding law, right? But yet the speed limit is put there for your benefit. The speed limit is put there for your protection, right, Corinne? The speed limit is put there for your good and the good of others. It's the same here. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, meaning the Ten Commandments are there for our benefit. They're there to benefit us. They're there to show us, you know, how to properly live, right? But we're not trusting in them and relying on them for our salvation, although they're certainly good for us, right? And these commandments also show us that we're sinful because we don't obey them. And he's going to talk about that here. So hopefully that makes sense. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And this is heavy because, you know, there are different curses. You can be cursed by people, cursed by the devil, cursed by demons. Um, but this is cursed by God. All who rely on observing the law. If you're relying on your own good life, your own good works to save you, it says you're cursed because cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In order for you to be made right with God, you have to live the same perfect life that Jesus did. If you're going to be made right with God by doing good works, by following the rules. It didn't say cursed is everyone who does not continue to want to do everything. Not cursed is everyone who desires to do it. You could be made right with God by doing good works and observing the law if you did it perfectly. If you literally did everything in the Bible perfectly every day of your life, you could then be made right with God by doing good. No one in history can ever do it except the God-man Jesus Christ did it. And when he did it, he did it on your behalf and on my behalf and in our place because we didn't do it. So Paul says, all who rely on observing the law, all who are trusting in themselves in their own good life are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Obviously, all of us know that we don't do everything in the Bible perfectly. I mean, we sin daily in our thoughts, words, and deeds, right? Verse 11. 
Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Okay, to be again, clearly no one is justified before God. To be justified means to be declared not guilty of sin and righteous before God. It's a judicial legal term. Paul says clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. And again, this is now out of Habakkuk, uh, the Old Testament book. I, I believe it's verses, verse two, verse uh, chapter two, verse four, that that you know no one is justified before the law because the righteous will live by faith, or that we have life by faith. We have eternal life, as we just saw in Genesis fifteen six, and now Habakkuk two four. Eternal life comes by faith, not by, by, by doing good works, not by obedience. Now, again, we need as Christians to have a lifestyle of obedience, but not to save us, not even to help save us. But we obey Jesus because we love him and we want to be like him and we want to experience life with him. Right. But we don't obey him to earn our salvation, right? We obey him because we love him and we know how much he's done for us, right? So again, he quotes the Old Testament scripture saying that the righteous will have life by faith. It says it right in the Bible. Uh, Habakkuk 2.4, he just quoted that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's proving even from the Old Testament that we were never saved by following the law or doing good works. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. <clears throat> Meaning the law of God, the, the moral law and the written law of God, okay, is not based on faith. It's a standard and it's a good standard. Again, if God didn't give us the law, right, if God didn't give us a moral standard to live by, the entire world would have destroyed itself thousands of years ago, right? There would be no, no civilization, right? It'd be complete anarchy. So God has written the law of God and morality. He's written it into our hearts. He's given us a conscience. That's how we know, right? People, whether you're in Christ or not, know basic right from wrong, okay? Every human being, right, has a conscience now, that conscience can be seared, but we know right and we know wrong, okay? Um, <clears throat> every parent, whether they're Christian or not, raises their children and raises them to understand right from wrong, right? Every rational parent, right? Um, but the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. So again, although the law is a good thing, it's not based on faith. It's based on absolute perfect standards, but you can't get life by doing that, right? If you did it perfectly, it says the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things, not wants to do them. If you did the law perfectly, if you obeyed every single aspect of the Bible perfectly, every aspect of the moral law, every aspect of the written law, if you never sinned in your thought, word, or deed, you could get life that way, okay? You could go to heaven that way. It's clear no human being has ever done it except Jesus, the God-man. So that's why we need a Savior, because we cannot obey every aspect of the Word of God perfectly. We can't even do it for a day, right? Verse 13, 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Wow. Golly, Christ redeemed us. The word redeemed means to be bought back, to be purchased, right? We were slaves to sin, right? We were under the power of the devil. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us because we were cursed because we could not follow the law perfectly. We could not do the work of God perfectly. We were all sinful. He redeemed us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. A cross was called a tree. It was made out of wood. It came from a tree. So Jesus hanging on a cross was hung on a tree. Again, the cross was, the wood was built from, from a tree, right? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So again, when he, when he was on the cross, when he was nailed to the cross, the curse of all the sin and the curse of us not, not fulfilling the law was all put to Christ. And the incredible, Nathan, perfect, righteous life that Jesus lived was credited to us. So the curse was taken from us and put to Jesus and the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived may was credited to us. So when the Lord sees us, he sees us as, as have lived the perfect righteous life that Jesus actually lived when he walked the earth. It's incredible. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. The blessing given to Abraham, again, is, is being made right with God by faith. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was made right with God by his belief and trust and reliance in the Messiah. He redeemed us. Christ bought us back. He purchased us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, right, salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, not only the Jewish people, but everyone who's not Jewish. These Galatians were, for the most part, not Jewish. Now, there were Jewish Christians in Antioch and in Galatia. Again, Galatia was a, you know, like a province with, with many churches. Um, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Again, not only Jewish people, but all those who are not J Jewish Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So again, all of these things, having received Christ Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes one with us. When Jesus Christ comes to live in you, when the Spirit of God lives in you, he becomes one with you and you become, you become alive spiritually. You become eternally alive. You come into spiritual life. You have natural life, but because of our sin, every human being is conceived in sin, right? Passed down from our great-grandfather, Adam. And so although we come into this world naturally alive, our spirit is dead to God. 
And only in Jesus Christ do we come into spiritual life, right? And when we, when we receive Christ, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes one with our spirit and gives us eternal life, spiritual life. It's, it's incredible. Father, we do just thank you for your word. We thank you for these incredible truths. We thank you, Father, that we're not made right with you by anything we do. Father, we confess. I confess there's nothing I can do, Father. There's nothing we can do to justify ourselves. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do, Father, to deliver ourselves, to deliver ourselves from eternal hell and separation from you. But Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending your only son to live for us and die for us and to become a curse for us that we might be redeemed and bought back from just the wretched, sinful way of life and the sin that I've so much lived in. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. I ask you to open the hearts of all those in the world today, Father, who don't know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus Christ, that they would come to trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. Father, we love you and we bless you. We pray, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, seal the message to our hearts now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.